everybody, and welcome to episode 31 of the Pink Bike Podcast. Today, we're going to be talking about how to survive the off-season, if you actually have an off-season, as well as going over some foul weather riding tips. Uh, joining me today, we've got James Smurthwaite. How's it going, James? Hey, Mike. Not too bad. Thanks. What do you think about off-season? Do you have an off-season over there in the UK? Yeah, not really. I know we like to moan about the weather a lot over here, but it's it's only ever kind of wet and mud. It's never like the deep snow that some places get. So yeah, all year round for sure. Nice. also have special guest, Christina Chapetta. Hey, Christina. Hello. And how about you? Off-season up there? That's hard. I, I don't take much of an off-season, but I do love to snowboard. So if it's a pal day, you will not find me riding my bike. Yeah, that's the way to be. And then I also have Sarah Moore. Hey, Sarah. Hello. Do you take an off-season there, Squamish? Only if there's snow on the ground, but then I'll do something like cross-country skiing or touring. Um, but yeah, it is kind of nice to have like a little break from the bike sometimes. Yeah, I agree. I mean, our jobs are to ride bikes a lot of time, but sometimes even just a week or two off is probably pretty helpful. <laughs> sometimes totally. I try to keep track and I realize I've been going like 24 months without taking time off the bike or something. Yeah, you <laughs> should be probably like, take I was forced, forced to do it when I was in Quebec. Like you'd have snow from November until March or, you know, you just couldn't go out on the mountain bike trails at all. So it was always a little rusty in like March, April when you got back on the bike. But now it's like, oh, I don't, I never, I never get that like rusty feeling of, um, yeah, not, not being on my bike for months. Yeah, exactly. I'm the same way. I still live in Colorado and you definitely have two seasons or ski season and bike season. And that was it. But now that I'm in Washington, it's a uh, kind of year round biking with bonus powder days on the skis. Thrown it's in the kind mix, of the best so. of both worlds. That's yeah, what I say. I moved here nice. because you get snow in the mountains and then hopefully it's green and Squamish. So I like the snow to stay in the mountains and uh, Squamish to be green. And that's like the perfect life. Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, before we get in the news, I got to mention, I'm Mike Kazmer, and Mike Levy, again, is not here. Uh, he's still at curling camp, still working on those skills, training hard. It's a Tim Horton-sponsored curling event coming up in March, so he's just really focused on that. So, no Levy today, but uh, hopefully he's doing well out there. So, yeah, let's move on to the news. Let you take that away, James. Uh, sure, let's start with the big review of the week, and that was your um, Kona Process X review. Um, so Kona normally names its its process range after travel length. So, you know, the 111, the 134. Um, but this one could be run at 158 or 164. So it, it gets X, basically. Um, this is Kona's longest travel bike, uh, apart from the operator. And it definitely seems to be aimed at tackling the toughest terrain going. Uh, how did you get on with it, Kaz? Um, kind of middle of the road for me. It's a lot of bike, even though I live in a great place for this style of bike. For the most part, there's some, you know, plenty of steep trails here, but the, uh, the bike itself was pretty long and pretty slack. So when I was on my, like on top of my game, I had some good times on it, but other times if I was maybe riding a little bit lazy or just not quite there, it would feel like I was working pretty hard to get it to do what I want. So, um, definitely an interesting bike in their lineup and more of a niche bike I'd say than the one bike you'd want to do everything. Maybe like a bike for like a certain type of trail, something like that. Yeah, like steeper, more open trails almost. Like in the really tight stuff, it definitely, you notice the length. It'd be fun in the bike park, like, you know, where you're going higher speeds, more room to let it run. Um, could do well there. Um, yeah, so it's, you know, I think it's a, it fits in their lineup. Like they have the 153, like we mentioned, and the 134. So this is kind of just on that outer edge for the person that really wants that kind of free ridey, long travel. You could race it, but even then it might be almost more bike than you need for an enduro race bike. Just kind of, a, yeah, free ride bike, I guess. Quite a few, like, adjustments on it how were you running it with the train stays or just to a right and travel and stuff like that yeah i ended up with it in the uh i like the longest position the best i think it's 450 millimeter chain stay length 
Um, these days, I've just been preferring a little bit longer chain stays to go with the longer front end, just so it doesn't feel unbalanced. Like I don't think there's a right or wrong, but I do think it's great that more companies are putting a, adjustments on there so you can just make the bike feel exactly like you want. So, yeah. You One of the cons in your review, you said... Um, like could be like a bit too long and slack which is obviously where we've been going for i don't know years now are we sort of kind of reaching the the outer limits of of that design style now i think we're getting close i mean i think part of it just ends up being overall wheelbase length you know there's a lot of focus on um you know there's different numbers that go into making the bike's wheelbase a certain length but when you have a long reach and a slack head angle bikes can start feeling pretty big but that's I think sizing by reach helps where you can, once you realize what number you're comfortable with, you could potentially just pick the one that feels best for you. So yeah, this bike was probably on the outer limits of what works for my five foot 11 inch height and a size large, but yeah, we'll see where things go in the next couple of years. Cool. Um, moving on from there, there's been a bit of a change up at YT. Uh, and after 12 years since founding the brand, Marcus Flossman has stepped aside as CEO uh, he's appointed Sam Nickel, who comes on board after eight years working for Amazon Prime in Germany. Uh, Marcus is still going to be a part of the brand. Um, he's sort of sidestepping to become CVO, something I've never heard of before, but it's Chief Visionary Officer. Uh, which, yeah, that sounds special. I want to do great that. <laughs> <laughs> so I think he's going to be carrying on doing his like his branding side of it and kind of the sort of the overall direction of the brand um but he's handing off the kind of day-to-day business running of things basically he's looking um, deep into the future the visionary uh, yeah. officer he's just got a crystal ball and he's like a shaman and some kind of just yeah. guru stuff um if you i mean you just have to read the comments on the the post to you know get the idea that maybe yt has some some customer service issues they need to work out um i think that's one of the reasons they listed for bringing in these these yt mills the the brick and mortar locations they have um in their kind of most popular territories um and you know someone from amazon could be a a good pick for that you know they're they're probably the biggest well they almost certainly are the biggest mail order company in the world so looks like it could be um could be good to help help them kind of tidy up that side of things this one was kind of interesting there's a new scheme in northwest arkansas um the local council is offering you money towards a mountain bike and 10 grand in cash to live there um this type of scheme kind of isn't new there's been ones in new zealand in italy uh, and in other parts of the usa um vermont runs one i think tulsa's got one as well um but none of them offer the mountain bike component for this um the reason we think there's a mountain bike is because the scheme supported by the Walton Foundation, um, they've been the driving force behind, you know, the Bentonville trails, you know, they're the reason it kind of got trademarked, the mountain bike capital of the world. They're also kind of pushing the Viathon brand at the moment through Walmart. Um, so yeah, kind of interesting that they're kind of specifically targeting cyclists and, and mountain bikers to to move to a certain area. Um, have any of you guys started looking at a house down there after this? I'm not moving from Canada to the U.S. right now. <laughs> I'm, I'm definitely not moving, but I am. I grew up in Louisiana, and that's right next to Arkansas. So it's kind of funny that you know I, I never mountain biked in Louisiana, but here we are, Bentonville, Arkansas, mountain bike capital of the world. And uh, yeah, definitely next time I go home, who knows when that'll be? But I'd love to get there and check it out. Yeah, I think it's cool to see that, yeah, a town embracing mountain biking. If that makes people move there that are interested in mountain biking, like that's probably a kind of a good population to sort of recruit. So, um, 
Yeah. We should probably put the $10,000 towards the new mountain bike and the $10,000 towards the housing (laughs) that we'd be talking, you know, $10,000 towards the new mountain bike is like, like, (laughs) well, and 10 grand out here. (laughs) Yeah. 10 grand US too. I mean, we're laughing. That's basically retirement savings for us. So that's a good point. You're in Canada. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And I guess if the Waltons are going to spend their money on anything, pretty glad it's developing mountain biking, right? Like that's got to be applauded, I think. So yeah, those guys are into it. So they might as well have. Yeah, there's recruiting friends to ride with. Seems all right. <laughs> I think it's actually like a pretty little spot in the world as well. Like it's one of those towns that you would see on like the Home Improvement Network or something where you're like, oh, that's so cute. What do people do there? But, you know, get there now, open a bike shop. You just yeah. might be laughing in a couple of years. Yeah. Uh, next up, uh, we've got another Danger Home bike. He's really cranking them out this year, isn't he? Um, this one now is... A full suspension XC bike um, lays, weighs less than eight kilograms, about seventeen point five pounds. Uh, this time he's not gone raw carbon; he's even like managed to paint it for that. Um, I, it's just a bike that just looks fast, right? You just look at it and you think, "That's yeah, that's a fast bike." Um, what did you guys think? Yeah, I'm a big fan. Like I already, I like the regular Spark already because it is a bike that feels fast, even in its normal stock configuration. And then when Danger Hold went crazy with it i mean under 18 pounds for a full suspension bike that's ridiculous like you could even put if you know put a dropper post on that thing it would still be you know under 19 pounds so that's impressive yeah it's lighter than the lightest full suspension bike we had at the field test by like i think two or three pounds like the super caliber was the the lightest bike that we had and i think i'd have to look it was either i think it was 20.1 or five pounds like it's pretty pretty close to the the 21 pound mark so yeah full suspension bike for 17 and a half pounds that would be awesome but i would add a dropper post but what does that even feel like to ride such a tiny light little like bike dream does so it fast. though <laughs> It'd be pretty good. yeah yeah but do you want to go downhill though if we yeah. don't talk about that yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. i bet it's okay going down. it's like full you, suspension yeah I mean, yeah and the tires so he put normal tires like he didn't go crazy crazy light like so he like his his builds are always cool because he wants them to be rideable, so they're like they're crazy light, but you could still ride them pretty hard. I think we'll see on this one. I like the seat is just like pure carbon. There's not even any padding on the seat. Oh yeah, yeah. whenever I see trouble. those, I just kind of wince. Like yeah, yeah. Races, racers do ride those at like races. Mm-hmm. You'll like pull up and just be like, I don't really want to ride that saddle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, yeah, he even took out the star nut and just so like he just preloaded it and then took the star nut out. So then it's just like there so Excellent. if you get a loose headset just a couple no grams less uh-huh, exactly <laughs> i like what he's doing it's good to have people like that doing weird things i would like uh, to try to ride a light bike one day just to see yeah i think you'd like it yeah yeah now for some um less good news unfortunately um tom van steenbergen took one of the biggest crashes i think we've all seen for a long time uh, he ended up with a broken femur, broken rib, and a punctured lung. Um, thankfully, Bass and Vea were there, and they were able to, to kind of get him some help and, and get him out of there. Um, but yeah, this this one looked brutal. Yeah, it's so gross. That's like coming up short on the road gap is the worst thing ever, and that road gap was huge. It wasn't like a normal, like half of a lane road gap. It was a giant. Yeah. Yeah. It was a big case. It looked yeah. Yeah, and, and especially just imagining, one. he said the ground was frozen. So just imagining, it was pretty much like hitting pavement, like yeah. when the ground's frozen. Yeah, yeah he, totally. it was. It was his second crash in two days on it. Um, I spoke to him, and he said he'd already he'd already crashed on it the day before. Um, 
broke a wheel obviously went got his bike fixed went back the next day and the frozen ground just meant his wheels were rolling a bit slower and that threw him off i guess and um yeah nasty yeah. i mean, gotta give it them I mean, that's some like mental fortitude if i crash on that gap ever i would never do it again i'd be like now nah, I'm, I'm good like <laughs> i wouldn't try it in the first place but if i was going to and then i crashed like if i was going to try it again it definitely wouldn't be like the next day it'd be like months later once i forgot that i crashed on it yeah i think yeah, for definitely. that caliber of rider like you know the best thing is to like get back on the horse as quick as possible and go like conquer it especially i don't know those van steenbergens they're pretty dialed precise you know very particular riders and i'm sure in, in tom's head he was like i totally have this i know exactly what went wrong you know like let's go do it again but man, when I watched that video, I totally like winced and turned away and like almost threw up in my mouth a little bit. It was yeah, I hate brutal. watching crash videos. Like I don't watch Friday fails or any of that stuff. No, I don't. That one I watched just to see. But then I was like, oh no, that's not what I wanted to see. So yeah, hopefully he heals up quick. He's got a big old rod in there, but I'm glad he's going to be okay. But that's a brutal crash. Mm-hmm. Yeah, up. he said he's he like back quick. home now. He's he's got weight on it, and sounds like he's going to be able to recover okay. So yeah. Best, yeah, best he said he was going to go for like the world's longest something jump when he was all better. <laughs> like, I don't know. Like, oh, good, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Be careful for like a couple weeks once you can ride again. And then you can do whatever. <laughs> I'm sure they're all, all those free ride guys or, you know, old hats that come back from injury, right? So sure yeah, you got I mean, a plan. Got some yeah. good, got a good team around him to come back yeah. and go for the record. You got to have like a goal when you're injured. Yeah, you know? yeah definitely. Exactly. All of us know about, we can have an injury podcast one of these days and we can talk yeah. about our fun times <laughs> <laughs> recovering. <laughs> the, um, a road gap that went a bit better was Olivier Cuvées in his recent Arcadia edit. Um, if you recognize that road gap, it's because um, it's the one that's been left dormant for 17 years since Dave Watson used it to gap over the Tour de France. Dave is a pretty famous road gap. He, he kind of spilled on landing. Um, there were no crowds or roadies this time around. Um, but yeah, Olivier stomped it. And that's, um, I think he's the first person to do that. It's pretty cool. To revisit that spot and, and see it being being nailed this time around. Yeah, yeah if you look at the landing, it's definitely a lot cleaner than it was when Dave Watson attempted it. Like it looked like they just like barely raked it when he did it, and he's obviously on a better bike. So, but still, it looked massive. Congratulations, Olivier. Yeah, it's wild. It's been seventeen years too. I don't know. Time goes really quickly, but I didn't realize it's been seventeen years since he did that road gap. You remember it was like it was yesterday, Cass. Seems like not that long ago, but I guess it was. I'm old. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we do, th- do throwback Thursday posts, so you think it's more recent than it was. Yeah, I mean, that's it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up the news. Let's move into some reader questions. Uh, we can start with one from, let's see, his name is 2N Sorelli. And he says, would you rather ride at a completely average speed and ability for the rest of your life and never crash or ride like the best current pro, but have one bad crash every year resulting in six weeks of recovery and missed riding? I can say that I wouldn't mind just never crashing. I could handle it. Like That'd be my pick, but. I think that's also like my riding style is I don't really go for the crashes that often. So yeah, I'm pretty happy being average. Oh, I'd ride like the best, the best current pro. Surely, I like, feel like you'd have some mental either. anguish if you were yeah, every crashing. year one bad crash. I feel like I do that normally. So like if I, yeah, I don't know. Although it's only six weeks of recovery. So it's not that I bad mean, of a crash. Six months of recovery every year. You just reset and go be a pro again. <laughs> if you knew, yeah, if you knew it's like, if you could just 
yeah, magically just be like, all I have to do is I'll be better in six weeks, no matter what, then I probably go pro. Time yeah. your crashes like, for like the end of October even or yeah, November. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Get more Christmas presents. Yeah. It's just like what injury <laughs> would you actually, one bad crash resulting in six weeks is like, those are kind of like antonyms or, you know, it's like they don't go together. It's like if you have no, a bad that's, crash. That's, that's a, a broken bone. Yeah. Like, yeah. Thumb or like broken things like that. It's six weeks mm-hmm. before you can ride. You're not supposed to, but you can. Yeah, <laughs> but until you feel but, good riding again, normally uh, yeah, it's it longer than longer. six weeks, but... Yeah, it's like eight. I mean, even when I did my back, it was like eight weeks. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I don't> <laughs> Super gnarly. Yeah, yeah. I'm Hold that go one for the injury podcast, guess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, Christina, what? what um, I'm, I'm actually super torn because as someone who crashes, I would say regularly, I don't even know what it's like to not crash which I've ridden with people and they're like, oh, that was crazy. I just had my first crash on my downhill bike. And I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, (laughs) I've had countless crashes. So I honestly can't even comprehend this question. But uh, if I had to make a decision, I would say probably ride like the best current pro because yeah, six weeks of recovery, like you're going to have to deal with six weeks of some sort of recovery, even if you don't crash. So Uh, see the next question comes from, Andy KMN, he says, when will we hit peak steel hardtail? It's great to see options, uh, but there can really, let's see, but can there really be that many people who want one or seven? Maybe in three years, there'll be a bunch for sale from people who bought one and found out they don't ride it at all. So he's kind of just referring to, we've seen a lot of hardtails released in the last couple of years. They kind of come in, it's pretty typical. I'd say every few years, hardtails seem to make a little comeback, then they disappear, and then they come back. Um, I don't know, anybody who's a hardtail fan I think here? I think hardtails are... You know, they'll never die. And especially a steel hardtail. Like if you have one of those, chances are if it's somewhat modern anyway, you won't need to ever get rid of it because you can always just like buy some new parts, slap it on, upgrade it here and there. And I think everybody should learn how to ride a mountain bike on a hardtail. But that's just me. Yeah, I disagree with that. But I don't mind hardtails at all. And yeah, it is fun to have one because it is your bike that just usually works. You don't have to maintain the pivots and you know, like outdated hardtail geometry doesn't really matter that much. It just, you can hop on and have a good time. So, um, yeah, peak steel hardtail. I don't know if they're going to stick around and I don't think they're ever going to go away. Yeah. I think if he wants to buy one, it's not worth waiting three years. I think he should probably just buy one now. Yeah, exactly. If you're on the fence, <laughs> winter's coming, hop on a hardtail. You'll have a good time. COVID's here. Yeah. Slap some bags on it. Go yeah, tour around the neighborhood. Gravel, gravel grinding. <laughs> <laughs> uh, next one comes from R. Raleigh. He says, talk about bike fit. He's commanding us, not questioning. And then it says, once you buy the right size frame, what part swaps, parts adjustments make the most impact and what are the impacts? It's kind of a broad question. I'd say that, I mean, with bike fit, your stem length, handlebar width are going to be pretty crucial things. I find that. I have yeah. to change the saddle. Well, yeah, seat height. I hope he knows that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or does that go with the right size frame? Who knows? Yeah. And saddle yep. to match. I mean, I think a lot of stuff is just personal preference. I think everybody, once you ride a little bit, you kind of start figuring out what works for you. Yeah, like I usually check right. yeah, your saddle height, how far, far forward or backward it goes. Like, yeah. Some, Handlebar width, I always do the same width. Like, yeah. Something I don't personally stress about, or I don't think a lot of people do, but maybe they should, is crank length. Because there's a huge difference in 165 mil cranks and 175 mil cranks. And I feel like that is something on your bike fit that could easily be neglected. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Especially if you are a taller or shorter rider, it does get tricky if you're like riding somewhere super rocky and you probably could run one seventy fives, but then you don't want them because 
170s work better. So yeah, but yeah and ideally you get that with with the bike original initially, but yeah, they're kind of an expensive upgrade. Uh, but yeah, I'd say stem length probably makes the most impact because yeah. you could really make a bike feel horrible if you stuck like an 80 mil stem on it. But there's again, there's not a ton of, you only have like a few millimeters in each direction before it starts feeling weird. So again, personal preference and most bikes these days should have a short stem on it because they're better. What What is short Science. stem to you, Kaz? Uh, like 40, 40 mil. 45. Yeah. 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 I approve. <laughs> I approve. Good. Thanks. <laughs> uh, let's see. Final question comes from Oz Huck to Flat, um, kind of related to what we've been talking about. He says, many of the bike brands now offer adjustability in their bikes. And he wants to know what's more, usable, what's more useful, whether that's adjustable head angles, bottom bracket height, or adjustable reach and chainstay length. Yeah, so which setting would you be more likely to use? Um, I mean, it kind of depends what you're going for. I do like bikes with adjustable chainstays because those make a pretty big difference. And then the rest of the bike kind of feels the same. So uh, how about you, Christina? Do you, I guess you're, you're riding a Slash, and that just has... Head angle adjustment, right, on your bike? Uh, yeah, the high and low setting. So change in the bottom bracket height and the, respectively the head tube angle. Mm-hmm. Um, I tend to set it for what I think I'll like, and then I honestly don't really change it unless I feel like I need to. Um, but, yeah, I usually go for that low, slack, long. Mm-hmm. It's what the kids like these days. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing. Like, it is cool that all these bikes have them, but I feel like once you get your bike and you set it up, you're not going to be switching every single time. Because just... yeah, it's not actually two bikes in one. It's like you're probably going to ride one of these two. Bikes. Yeah, but you know, maybe if you lived like and on the East Coast and you were doing a Whistler trip and you had something like that Stump Jumper Evo, you could slacken it out and make it longer, and then it'd be like a kind of different feeling bike for more gnarly terrain. So I think the adjustment's nice to have, but uh, not a requirement. Yeah, in the past, I've definitely had, like, one bike with two sets of wheels, and I thought that made more of a difference in, like, how the bike was handling. You know, if I was going, like, super enduro, throw on the heavy, fat wheels, heavy tires as well, and then if I'm going for, like, an eight-hour backcountry mission, like, I don't really need to change anything about the actual bike, but if I just put on lighter wheels with thinner tires, like, that actually made a huge difference, I thought. Yeah, totally. That roll-on weight, you notice it for sure. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, this that's, that wraps up the questions, but now it's time for our main discussion. And basically, it's how to not hate winter. So, yeah, for a lot of people in the Northern Hemisphere, it's short days, dark, rainy, snowy, cold, depending on where you live. So, um, yeah, we'll kind of dive into it and see. We've all, all of us that are here have ridden a bunch in nasty conditions, and I think most of us don't hate it. So, might as well share some tips. We probably need to mention that you shouldn't wreck trails by riding them when they're wet if they if they can't handle being ridden in the wet. So depending on where you live, you know, if you live somewhere in the desert with really um, kind of sandy clay soil that just turns into a horrible, gunky mess, you shouldn't really ride in that when it's wet at all. It's just not not good to do. So, um, yeah, you should take up a different sport at that time of year. <laughs> yeah, a lot of trail associations have really good, like, diagrams for, like, how does the trail drain? Like, what is the soil like what is there lots of rocks or ridges and like those things kind of hold up better in the rain um but yeah like in quebec i we never used to ride in the rain because the trail centers would all be closed and now coming to bc it's like oh we can ride year-round okay um so yeah it's yeah uh, exactly. it's nice but yeah you do kind of want to ride the right trails yeah and if you were like where james lives you would never ride if you didn't ride in the rain right yeah pretty much yeah and um <laughs> i guess riding a lot of unsanctioned trails in the uk as well like 
I don't think anyone's going to stop you in the in the rain, you know. So yeah, okay. so just be respectful. You know, probably like some nice jump trail. You don't want to be just skidding up lips and wrecking things. And so, be smart out there. But for the people that do live where it's rainy, there's a lot of little tips that can help make it more tolerable when you want to go out for a couple hours and not feel like you're getting hypothermia. So yeah, usually in the winter when it's raining, it's also cold. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's the worst part I think about riding in the rain. Yeah, just to stay in warm. And yeah. I think, yeah, like even just like changing your expectations helps a lot. Because in the summertime, it's it's light out forever. And like, I'm going to go for a four-hour ride. It's going to be great. But in the wintertime, a four-hour ride can be kind of brutal after yeah. the first like hour. <laughs> yeah, it's like set up everything. So like wash your bike, have hot chocolate ready after your ride. Maybe don't, you know, just be like, I'm going to go out for an hour. It's going to be okay. And then if you end up going out for longer, that's great. But just getting outside, sometimes that's like the biggest hurdle is just going out when it's raining. Yeah, exactly. Um, but like, think before we go too deep into the, that part, let's just talk about bike setup. Like that's a kind of a, we'll talk about things you would wear, but now let's start with the bike. Uh, Christina, you did a video earlier this year, right? About bike setup. I sure did. That was one of my first yeah. videos with pink bike. We've come so far. I know. <laughs> but something <laughs> um, for me, I mean, tires, tires are a huge difference. I have been on bike rides with friends before and they just have these hard plastic tires and yeah they're skidding all over the place and falling down on the roots and things and they're like wow that's crazy how can you climb that thing and I'm like dude get some grippy tires uh don't ride at 30 psi and it's actually crazy what you can do in the rain yeah it makes a big difference yeah I won't like in the winter time it's time for the tackiest tires possible you know rolling resistance doesn't matter you just want them to stick and pretty much all companies have different compounds for their tires out there so if you're trying to get your bike set up for the winter, go for the grippiest tires you can find, at least for the front. Um, yeah. That's, you know, and a little, two tires can get expensive, but one tire is good. Yeah. A little extra like um, width as well goes a long way. You know, I'm not necessarily going to ride a 2.6 front tire all summer long, but put it on in the winter and you're actually, you can have a lot more fun and be in control. Yeah. yeah and same thing there. You can even get mud spikes depending on where you live. Like maybe not full on mud spikes, but some kind of like just chunkier, blockier tread. They help make it so you're not getting bogged down. So. Do you have a favorite, Kaz? Uh, I mean, around here, like I'm running like a Maxxis Asagai in the front and a DHR2 in the rear. That, I can run that year round here just because our dirt isn't, like it sheds pretty well. Um, I'd probably put something closer to a mud spike if we had kind of like cloggier mud. But that tie, that combo, like I rode that this weekend, it was really wet. Um, in max grip compound and it was good so yeah i don't know anyone else have favorites favorite tires i'm riding double ass guy right now it's awesome <laughs> yeah that works. not the fastest but it does work it's not the fastest but at the same time like you want to warm up on the climb so it's perfect mm -hmm. yeah. yeah that's how i feel about my double magic mary compound it's like i'm not going mm -hmm. anywhere super quickly but i don't fall and yeah you just feel a little more connected with the ground and control yeah, yeah, and like wet slabs look intimidating and then you get on them and you're like, oh, okay, I got this. We're good. Yeah. yeah Here in nice. BC, that is with granite. Yeah. Those, those yeah. Southerners in Sedona, they probably don't feel the same. Yeah. Even down here, we have sandstone and the sandstone gets like green and slimy. It's not the same as granite. It's Yeah. but Yeah. As soon as the rocks are green here, um, even, yeah, even green rocks here are a little scary. You got to get the vinegar out and clean them off. <laughs> Yeah, my toothbrush, some vinegar. Sometimes they have like a broom at the top of the slabs. But oh yeah, that's good. <laughs> sometimes. 
<laughs> All right. Well, yeah. So tires, sticky tires, obviously key. Uh, and then stopping is important too. And for that, you need some metallic brake pads. Yep. Usually in the summer, I like not metallic brake pads, but in the winter, going for the metallics. Yeah, I go metallic year round. All I the go time. metallic I'll year round. Yeah. Sarah, yeah, I, what's that about? I just like the feel better. All right. Yeah. yeah. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's acceptable. But I feel like they shouldn't make organic pads at all and they should be banned, but... That might just be. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like the feel of organic pads in the summer. They're quieter. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. But I do get quieter. 200 mil rotors front and rear now. Ooh. Oh, nice. Yeah. yeah. Just doing stoppies so down those slabs. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I think you have to get the 220s next and bump Ooh. up even more. <laughs> uh, I'm just going to stop. I'm not going to ride at all. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yeah, so for people that aren't familiar, I guess metallic pads mean there's two different, basically two main compounds of two main styles of pad compound. One is organic. It's a little bit softer um, and it's a little bit quieter. And that's why a lot of bikes come specced with those. But there's also metallic ones that have more metal in the in the compound and they tend to be a little bit uh, more heat resistant. And in the wet, they don't um, fade as quickly and they last longer. So definitely a uh, key for wet weather riding. Moving on for bikes, I obviously see fenders. Like around here, all of us run a fender in the front, even, you know, different kinds, but people that aren't used to that, uh, if you go ride in the wet without a fender, you'll realize you need one immediately. Yeah, Sometimes often. they don't. They don't even realize. They don't even know what they're missing. But if you then put a fender on, you're like, whoa, <laughs> enlightened. It makes such a big difference. Yeah, even if you don't wear glasses, which I have a hard time wearing glasses, I can, yeah, be able to see without squinting, riding down with a fender. Yeah. Yeah, you got to blink fast. That's another thing you can practice. So you need some off-season training. Just practice blinking. So those days when your goggles <laughs> and your glasses are totally destroyed and you need to ride in the mud, you have to blink fast. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do a lot of that. I just fog up glasses and goggles like it's nobody's business. So yeah, yeah a lot of blink, trouble. fast blinking. Uh, One thing yeah. that like racers do that I don't know if many or as many like kind of general riders do is the the kind of the motofoam silicon spray stuff and just trying to stop mud getting into all the little recesses um and then the silicon spray obviously helps it kind of brush off much easier um because it all adds up right all that mud and water all sick into your frame makes yeah. for a much heavier and uh less maneuverable bike i've never tried the silicon spray it seems kind of more of a pain i wonder what cleanup like if it leaves a residue no it's you, actually tried that? crazy yeah i have tried it it. it does work it's wild like a lot of um yeah james the the racing i think i did a i did like a little video of some mechanics a long time ago or a long time ago earlier this year and yeah that was one of the tips was like especially if it's a muddy racetrack like the mechanics will spray the bikes with silicone spray just so the mud like actually sheds off um it doesn't get as heavy and then when you rinse it like if you rinse it right after riding before it hardens up um it does rinse away a lot easier yeah I recently Science. got like a ride wrap, like a frame protection on my frame and it beads so well. It's kind of like having a Gore-Tex raincoat on my bike. So it's so easy just to like spray it off at the end of the ride. And yeah, that's, that's nice to have in the winter. Yes. Yeah. That's always good. When you're already cold and you're like spraying off your bike and you're like, I don't really want to be doing this, but <laughs> yeah, that's the hard part. I, yeah. I, I and the hose is now. frozen. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the friends that have hot water hoses, they're the best in the winter. I have a couple of friends that awesome. have that. You know, like, they have like a, a shower, like they're, they have outdoor showers and hot water so they can wash themselves and the bike off. Like it's, I'm kind of jealous of those setups. You definitely live in Bellingham. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that kind of brings us into like just preparing as far as clothing goes. 
apparel, all that type of stuff. We mentioned glasses and goggles. Those are important to keep the grit and mud out of your eyes. The bigger, the better. Start from the top and go down. Okay, helmet. Nothing really changes there. I don't think. Yeah, no. No, helmet's the same. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I've done that. I do wear a hat under my helmet if it's really cold. Yeah. Yeah, or a hood. I'll wear like a merino shirt with a hood, and I'll fit that under my helmet for the way down. Oh, I like yeah. that. I'm never even tried like raincoat that. hoods. Yeah, sometimes I prefer raincoats if I'm gonna have a hood that's like yeah. smaller, so I can go under the helmet because the hood over the helmet is just weird and makes me like claustrophobic, sort of. Because I can't turn my head. I'm like inside a I do. I do like how easy it is with a helmet, a hood that goes over your helmet. So you can like start off with your helmet on and then you start riding and you get too hot and then you can pull it off easily without taking off your helmet. Oh, yeah. Take your. Yeah. That makes sense. <laughs> that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to like yeah. imagine it. Yeah. So right yeah, now I have a, hel- a hood that goes over my helmet. Yeah. I just I have a lot of hair. Stuff, uh, oh, that probably helps too. No, it just I, gets wet and then it's cold. It's the worst. Oh. It doesn't insulate you. It's not like no. polar bear fur. Christina's does apparently, well, but mine doesn't. I'm like, I think it kind of does. My pro tip is to put my hair like just over the tips of my ears, like when you're in the helmet, so that like the tips of the ears aren't exposed and cold. Guys, you can't really do that, unfortunately. No. They but can grow their hair. There's yeah, guys with long hair. Grow my yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna grow. Next winter, I'll do that. Yeah. Oh yeah. my god! No, start now, James. Start now. I yeah. See. yeah. I'm just gonna grow ear flaps for the winter. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That should be a Taj comic. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. (laughs) It helps, though. Yeah. Um, Yeah, glasses. Glasses or goggles kind of depends on your preference. A lot of it depends on how wet it is and if you can manage that stuff. Like, sometimes nothing works. I don't know. Anyone have any good goggle or glasses tips? Big, Um, big. Big is good. Big coverage. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe not a tip, but a bit of a rant, but don't. Like if you're not racing, don't use tear offs. Um, yeah, get get roll offs, fine. But um, they yeah, litter in the trails with with tear offs. If you're not in a race where they're going to be picked up afterwards, I think it's pretty uh, pretty disrespectful. So yeah, unless yeah, you're going to be that. taking the tear off off when you're in the middle of a jump, like did Greg Menard do that? At <laughs> yeah, a lot of those guys can do that. <laughs> if you can do that and you're in a race, then okay, it's fine that you're wearing tear offs or. But yeah, if you're just on a regular ride and you're like, stop, and you're like, okay, going to drop in and take off tear-offs, then you're probably doing it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's okay. As long as you put it in your pocket. when you're. I see. You can put it in your pocket. It's just a, the littering of the tear-offs mm. is silly. And you could pull a roll-off in the air, and that'd be pretty sweet. Because you'd be like, that'd be sweet. Then, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tricks. Yeah. Tricks for days. <laughs> yeah. Those are more for racing, though, I feel like. Like, around here, I don't see anyone ever using tear-offs or roll-offs in the woods. It's like, you bring your goggles, and once they get totally covered, you just put them in your yeah, pocket. Yeah, often I'll, like, put them put in my fanny pack for the way up in their little case and then take them out at the top of the trail, wear them for the way down, put them back in my bag so that try to manage how dirty and sweaty they get. Yeah. And if you do put them on your helmet, you can put like a shop rag inside them and sometimes you Mm -hmm. can put something over it so they don't get like super wet, but it's a tough, like managing your stuff. That's the whole thing with winter time is like making it so it doesn't get destroyed before you even get to go downhill. Yeah. And often it's like you want to start, you're kind of cold and you don't want to like, um, yeah, when you start, you don't want to be wearing not enough clothes. So you'll start off with way too many clothes. And uh, so often it's good to like stop and de when you're like, I'm hot so that you actually don't get too cold. You got to go with the be bold, start cold phrase. Yes, that's the best line. <laughs> be bold, start yeah. cold. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Be prepared for the worst though. Bring another layer in your backpack. <laughs> that too. Yeah. Bring some layers because things happen. If you're fixing a flat in the woods, you 
only brought one little layer, then it gets really cold. And then it's dark. So yeah. maybe toss a little headlamp in there or like a tiny, tiny light just in case of emergencies because navigating by iPhone is lame and you don't want to have to do that. Yeah, I've definitely started thinking more about like emergency stuff in the winter. Like, okay, got like uh, for longer rides, like the little uh, baby slack sleeping bag that I often carry with me. It's like the size of your palm. How far are you going? You live in Well, like search and rescue can take like six hours to get there or four yeah, hours. If like, you, you never know. Like, you, you can get hypothermia pretty fast and when it's like snow and sleet out there. So I'm just extra prepared. Yeah. I'll picture you with Sarah. carrying lots of stuff. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. So if you don't want to be prepared, just ride with Sarah or someone like her that has all the snacks and all totally, the things. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> What else do we have to talk about as I, far as clothing? Riding go. pants. I also love riding oh, yeah. in pants in the winter because mm-hmm. your knee pads stay clean. You're like, they're just warmer. Um, yeah. yeah, they're the best. Yeah, pants are good now. I went so many years without wearing pants to ride. Like I'd ride all winter in just shorts and like knee pads and thought that was cool. But then like five years ago, I realized that I was an idiot. And it took me a long time to realize I was an idiot. But yeah, I mean, pants maybe are the pants best. got better. Maybe you just had a bad experience. They did too. Because now they're not like big, goofy moto pants. Now they're actually like made for biking. So they're pretty light. And yeah. Weird. They're like articulated and you can pedal. And yeah, there's feel like so you're... many levels of pants these days now. It's it's actually quite exciting. Because <laughs> even for yeah. girls, like for forever, there weren't even women's pants. So, you know, we had to wear like the men's moto pants. And, mm-hmm. and now like, especially living in Whistler this summer in the bike park, like so many people were wearing pants just because they're finally available. And now that they're available, they're a little more affordable. But mm-hmm. yeah, riding yeah. in pants in the winter, crucial. Yeah, important. Especially if you get one that has like the waterproof or, or water resistant butt panel. Like that's important because then you sit on your wet seat and it doesn't totally soak in and freeze you. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Oh, and now we have to talk about the hardest part of your apparel, the extremities, hands and feet, yeah. keeping those warm. Crucial. Christina has some good tips. <laughs> my my thing that I cannot live without in the winter, starting uh, usually in October, is heat warmers or like, sorry, boot heaters. Boot heaters? Maybe we can yeah, call them heated heat insoles. Boot heaters, yeah. They, I wear them in my snowboard boots. And so that's kind of what like prompted this idea was, oh, I, this works. Like I could just put it in my bike shoe. Um, and yeah, it works really well. I, I wear clipless shoes. So I even have a hole in the bottom, but it's fine. Like no water gets in there. Um, just put the little battery up in my knee pad usually, and it works pretty good. But if it's pouring rain and does the, does it matter? Eh, I mean, technically it probably does matter, but I don't. I haven't gotten electrocuted, so I'm okay with yeah, that. <laughs> I'm more worried about the battery dying. <laughs> uh, I would oh, that, put that, it that's somewhere. Inside yeah, it's yeah. like in something. It's either like tucked yeah. in my sock or tucked into my knee pad. So it's never really exposed. Yeah, that's tricky. Just stay in And everybody's different too because some people don't even need to like try, do anything different in the winter. A lot of people with poor circulation or just get colder easier need to go to more extremes. Totally. I'd say the heated insoles are on the more extreme side, but – I do know they work well for a lot of people. So, mm-hmm. and one like boot trouble. covers for a cheaper option is just putting on shoe covers, and it makes such a big difference because you're they you can get waterproof ones, and mm. they keep your feet foot dry, which is like a big part of staying warm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I know that the frustrating thing is there's a lot of like sometimes winter you can find waterproof shoes that don't go tall enough, so then you go through a puddle and it dumps over the top of the shoe. So. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's waterproof the- socks out there. Yeah, I was gonna say I, I have some waterproof socks as well, and James, I'm sure you do too, because. 
the ones I have are from England. <laughs> they're, they're pretty popular. Fit for purpose. <laughs> yeah. But they're yeah. they're crazy. You like pull your foot out and your toes are all like pruny, not because they got wet, but just because they've been like in this little sweat bag. That's a nice so. image for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know um, Brian has been working on his own methods. He used to do tinfoil, so wrapping his feet in tinfoil. Um, but I think now he does uh, a thick sock, a, like a shopping bag, like a plastic bag, a thin sock, and then a shoe cover. And apparently that's that's the golden ticket according to him. Man, when it's like that, I go skiing because yeah. that's a lot of work for your feet. <laughs> but yeah, I think that that could be a thing. Yeah, I think there's definitely, like as a snowboarder, there's something to be said about not overstuffing your shoes like if you have enough room in your shoe to do all that then great but if you don't then you're actually cutting off more circulation so potentially yeah i actually used to coach cross-country skiing and when i was coaching i would actually borrow a pair of rental boots that were like a size or two too big just because the extra air in the shoe or the boot would like make a big difference for how warm my feet would stay so it might be a little annoying like if you're actually out on a bike ride having a floppy shoe but even just a size too big and not stuffing it too full makes a really big difference yeah and some of those winter shoes they do make winter shoes they do run a little bigger like i think i have a pair of shimano ones that like they have room for a, a bigger thicker wool sock or something they usually wear yeah to stay yeah, so, yeah and then gloves gloves a lot of times in the winter like i don't like the big heavy insulated gloves and it isn't usually too much below freezing here but i'll bring two pairs that way I've got like my uphill gloves and my downhill gloves because I'll get soaked on the way up and then I can toss those over and not put them back in my pack and then pull out the dry ones. For the or like keep them in your inside pockets is the best so that when you put on your going downhill gloves, they're warm. <laughs> it's the worst when you like, you're like, sweet, I'm going to put on my warm gloves. And then you're like, oh, these are actually colder than the ones that are on my hands already. <laughs> Good tip. Sarah's face just made the really cozy cozy looking uh, face when she yeah, says she, that. <laughs> <laughs> my hands are so cold and i'm putting on my warm gloves this is great <laughs> yeah it is pretty rad now though that again tons more companies are making winter gloves they it's like they finally realized that people ride year-round and you know the really thin tissue paper gloves aren't gonna cut it all year long so pretty much every brand out there makes like a legit winter glove now somewhat waterproof and you can always uh, put in like those hot shots. They like have eight hours of warmth. If it's like last resort, I used to just carry them skiing. And now I'm like, you know what? I also going to put those in my pack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, not a bad idea. Yeah. yeah. But if then you, you buy like a, a bunch things. of those and you're like, oh, maybe I should just buy heated gloves. Better for the environment. They make those. I had them one time for a review. I don't know where they went. Someone has them. I gave them to somebody with cold hands. <laughs> and, like charge Angie. them up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I know a lot of uh, winter photographers that use those, actually. Yeah. They're sweet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that covers most of the stuff. I guess we didn't talk about lights because we're spoiled and a lot of us get to ride during the daytime when other people are not able to. But there's tons of light options out there these days. If you haven't been night riding before, it's worth trying. It's a good way to keep on the bike. Uh, when you might not normally and batteries last longer than ever and they're cheaper than ever, which is cool. So a couple hundred bucks, you should be able to get a good light setup. Yeah. The biggest thing with night riding is like having a friend or two to go out with or like somebody Mm -hmm. to make you accountable. (laughs) Cause like I'm, I have great lights, like 4,000 lumens of lights or whatever. And I'm not going to go out on my own, you know, it's like, yeah, you definitely need the accountability of having somebody to go out with you. And it also just feels safe because lights can fail. And then, it's a long way out with an iPhone. Yeah, I always get scared of like the creatures in the night too, not going to lie. 
around here. We, <laughs> yeah, you, we have like cougars and things. So uh-huh. <laughs> I try not. I never ride alone. I'll use that as my excuse, but definitely not in the nighttime in the winter. Mm-mm. Yeah, yeah, I love riding alone, but I'll admit that yeah, night solo night rides aren't my favorite thing because they do get extra creepy, and you just feel like, what are you doing? Like you can see town, you see the lights of town out in the horizon, you're just deep in the woods, like oh, it's so cold. What am <laughs> I, I could doing? die here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So yeah, make friends. That's a good thing in the wintertime too. Make some friends, get some quarantine buddies or whatever, some people you can ride with, because it definitely helps to have some motivation to get out when it's kind of gross out. So it'll be fun once you're out there, but getting off the couch and out is tricky sometimes. But you also don't have to ride too, because off season is healthy if you, you know, take a, like a couple of weeks off or a month or something and just do something different. Yeah, That's even the pros acceptable. do it. I know. I'm impressed by how like hard they off season sometimes. I always think they're going to like always train super hard, but they actually turns out rest is important. Yeah, so, recover. Yeah. The yeah. rest of us could learn a thing or two from them, probably new technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. recovery <laughs> helpful. Yeah, weird. <laughs> Of my injuries never heal. I never yeah. Riding. <laughs> oh, I didn't t- make it my full time job. Okay, that's probably why. <laughs> but yeah, you can also hold down the hold down the couch and you know do some baking. I don't know what else yeah. you guys like doing. That's my go to. If I'm like, I don't want to go outside, I'm gonna make some food. Uh, I like reading books. Yeah, that's good too. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> that face, Christina? You know, reading. <laughs> <laughs> I, I watch like the videos. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's good too. Yeah, baking. Baking's a really good one though. Because that's at least an hour guaranteed, you know, prep, I'm, baking, cleaning. I'm good at eating too. And so, yeah, if yeah. people bake things, I'll eat them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, there's time to read your book while the thing you're baking is cooking. So it's like a sure. win-win situation. What yeah. about James? What are you doing? <laughs> oh, terrible reality TV. Oh, reality nice. TV. Oh, yeah. nice. That's my guilty. Bike Academy is sure. that your favorite show? Yeah. <laughs> oh, of course, absolutely. Good yeah. answer. <laughs> no plug there. Yeah. That's something people can do if you haven't watched it yet. Watch Pink Bike Academy. It's a guilty pleasure for a lot of people. People like to make fun of it, but it's actually super well done, and I've been really impressed with it. So, yeah, people check that out. It's pretty good. Uh, cool. Well, I think that brings us to the end of that discussion. I'm sure everyone will let us know what we're right or wrong about. But if you have any good wet weather riding tips. Uh, admittedly what we're talking about this riding was more like wet pacific northwest winter i know all of you out there in like alaska and other places have to do even more extreme things to stay motivated but yeah i guess that brings us into comet gold so comet gold from the yt industries ceo story uh Suarat, he says same day delivery on a bike or even in stock will the new model be called the bezos so many questions and then someone responded the jeff C. bezos so they're making fun of a guy having worked at Amazon before. and That's pretty good. Love yeah, her. That's all right. Yeah. yeah. I've seen better, but it's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Bad. Yeah. <laughs> Next one's in regards to Loic Bruni. He placed well in an XC Eliminator race. And Hatch Leader says, is it bad that I really want to see a cross between this and four cross? Some horrific hybrid involving bigger features and jumps plus a lung busting climb back to the top for long lap two. Or am I just a complete sadomasochist who wants to watch people suffer for my entertainment? No, like I think that's reasonable. Enduro Eliminator or something. Ooh. Yeah. Like if you're making a spectacle sort of race, you might as well have it be weird. I think it's pretty cool that like did an XC Eliminator race and came top four, I guess. Fourth. Mm. Yeah. I'm sure those guys aren't slow that he's going against. I didn't look at the yeah. names, but are they, do you know who the people were that he was racing against? Are they like, they weren't like your regular XCO races, but right. Was, yeah. They, they still look like machines and yeah. I mean, Loic's <laughs> a machine too, obviously, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And his girlfriend's a cross-country shredder. Oh, yeah. Yeah. 
sure they train a lot together. When I interviewed him earlier this year, though, I was like, oh, what kind of snacks do you bring on your ride? He's like, I don't bring snacks. I only ever ride for like, I think he said three hours or less. So he's Uh like, under that time, I don't need snacks. And I was like, oh. Okay. That's and here enough. you are yeah. racing cross country. So, okay. Yeah. I, like it. I think yeah. Eliminator is like a pretty short race, so he's got it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I feel like watching cross country races is like you're watching people suffer for your entertainment, aren't you? Like, mm-hmm. yeah. I love it. So you might as well have that lung busting climb in the forecast. I guess so. We'll see. I don't know if it's going to catch on, but maybe. I feel like we're due for a new kind of weird Another other format. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like we could be the one to introduce it, you know, Pink Bike's newest mm. format. Yeah. What about those, like, there's those shows where they have, like, the, like, the obstacle course with the, yes, like, that Japanese oh, game show. Yeah. Ninja style across country. Yeah. Mountain we need to combine it. Like, people should be, racing. like, riding... Yeah, like riding skinnies over an alligator pit and, like, jumping through fire. Definitely. Those are the videos I want to host. I want to see yes. that happen. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Send me yeah. your resumes, video applications, people. Yeah. Twenty twenty one. We'll do something. Yeah, something like Ninja Warrior combined with like uh, I don't even know, Niger Circus and Ooh. something else. I like that. Yeah. It's we'll good. work on that. I like yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Off season planning. Uh, and the final one. Oh, it's in, res- in response to Vance Debergen's craft footage. The guy Preach says, "I read the entire Constitution while he was in the air." So. Yes, fancy brain went very big. You could read things while he's in the air. Yeah, especially when they played it in slow mo. I was like, Ooh, yeah, that's a long too, time. too much air time. It was so much time to like squint at the screen, like uh, just uh, waiting. What's going to happen? And, and then you can tell that he knew it was going to happen. Oh, he, he starts pulling up the front. And you're like, oh, I hate that feeling. Where you're like, just, uh, I hate that so much. <laughs> Not your average uh, case. No, no. Well, that kind of brings us to the end of our winter, winter off seasony riding episode. So, uh, yeah, thanks, everybody, for listening. Be sure to put in any comments, questions, things you want us to talk about in future episodes in the comments, and we'll try to address those and talk to everybody next week. Mm-hmm.